Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. I felt this morning that we should take apart the book of Ruth a little bit and look at, on this Memorial Day weekend, we opened the service thanking all those who have given their lives in the service of the country, all those who have served. You know, I don't know if you know my story, but I was thinking of Lieutenant Tom McVeigh, 22 years old. He was my father's best friend, engaged to be married, got called up when they activated the reserves for the Korean War. And after several woundings, he was killed in battle. And I was born right after that death. And my father and mother decided to name me after Lieutenant Thomas McVeigh. 22 years old, never had a choice and a chance to live, had a choice to serve, but never had a chance. And when you go back all the way to the Revolutionary War today, the reason we celebrate this Memorial Day is there are those men and women who have given their lives. The country asked them to go, they went. And they lost their lives. Jesus said in John 15, there's no greater love than this, that a one would give up their life for their friends. So we honor those who have made the sacrifice. We celebrate that today. Well, I've titled today's message, Boaz, Christ Revealed as Our Kinsman Redeemer. If you know the book of Ruth and the the history of what was going on at that time, this is in the time of the judges. There was no kings at this point. It's the time of the judges, and the world was in a mess. There's a lot of parallels to where we are right now. Everyone did what they thought was right in their own eyes, and it was awful. There was a lot of... uh, immorality, perversion, brokenness, idolatry. But there's a story that emerges in this right after the book of Judges during this same period of time called the book of Ruth. And the story is about Ruth. She's a Moabite Gentile woman who when a Jewish family during a famine, Elimelech, the the head of this family, takes his wife and two sons and they, they moved to Moab. Now, if you know anything about the history there, you had Jerusalem. They were from Jerusalem. They go across the Dead Sea to Moab, which is modern-day Jordan. It's quite a journey. They had heard that uh, during this famine, there was maybe some provision in Moab. There's no indication that Elimelech heard from God. He just decided to go. And you'll see some names that are very interesting. In fact, it says that Bethlehem, he leaves that area of Bethlehem, which is called the house of bread. So during a famine, you leave the house of bread to go to a foreign nation, to Moab, and Moab means, where's my father? (laughs) We're going to look at some names. There's some very interesting names here. But let's look at this statement. It says, Boaz represents a Christ of the Old Testament. Boaz, like Christ, is revealed to us as a kinsman redeemer. Well, let's break that down. A kinsman is a blood relative. Jesus is our blood relative. He shed his blood. We have his DNA. You've been marked. You're part of the family. You're children of God if you're in the kingdom with him. So Jesus is your kinsman. And what's the word redeem or redeemer? Redeem means to compensate for the faults or bad aspects to save one from circumstances. So our blood relative, Jesus, compensates for our faults and our bad aspects, and he saves us from our circumstances. Can I get an amen on that? You know? Wow. So we see that Boaz, you'll see when he redeems, he's a a blood relative of Naomi, and you'll see because of the choice of Ruth to her mother-in-law what happens when God gets a hold of that. Let me ask a couple of questions first. What is the currency of heaven? Faith. The currency of heaven is faith. Now, think of it this way. Um, What is the kingdom of God? Let's think about that. Currency is faith, but the kingdom of God, we know there's a definition. You might want to write this down. In uh, Romans 14, 17, it defines the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Righteousness, 
peace and joy. If you walk righteously, you're going to have peace. Your conscience will not bother you. You'll know that you're not judged, right? So if you walk righteously, you'll have the Prince of Peace dwelling, and you're going to have a joy. And I'm not talking about happiness, which is circumstance-driven. It's a joy that is centered in the reality of who He is. My blood redeemer has redeemed me from the sin of curse and death, my sin. And so when we look at this, it says, if we know that the kingdom currency is faith, this is kind of like this, what's it built on? What's the kingdom built on? Well, it's built on love. Let me give you an analogy. Your car engine is made out of metal. It's built of metal, but it runs on gas, right? It has no good to have your engine there with no gas in it because it doesn't work. It's the kingdom of God works on faith. We know that. Here's a scripture. You might want to write this one down, meditate on it. Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a redeemer, a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Without faith, you cannot walk in the kingdom. Remember the woman with the issue of blood? Right? She reaches out, touches the hem of God, and says, woman, your faith has made you whole. Right? And so we see the, uh, the Roman officer who says, you don't need to come to my house, Jesus. Just command the word. It'll be done. He goes, man, I haven't found faith like this anywhere in Israel, all of Israel. So the question is, how's your favor? <laughs> how's your faith? How's this? You know, Think of this if you want to talk about currency for a minute. The currency of the United States is the U.S. dollar. Our ability to live and operate to buy is based on how much of that dollar you have. Having it's not a bad thing. If you love it, it's a bad thing. But So we know that having dollars is good. You can buy things. But, or you can have credit. How's your credit? You can buy things on credit. Not recommended, but you can buy things on credit as long as you can pay it off, right? And so how's your credit? How is your faith currency doing right now? This thing about discouragement and despair, I get it. 39 million people have filed for unemployment. I heard last night, I was listening to Judge Jeanine, and he had a speaker. It was one of them. I can't remember. But anyway, there was this statement that was made is this shutting down the world economy may have been the worst decision ever made, ever made. The consequences of this worldwide are going to be with us. We know God's hand is in all of it, and he'll work all things together. But we're going to need this faith currency in order to operate. But what decision you make... Let me, let me go this way. How many dollars you might have is based upon decisions you've made in the past. What school did you go to? Did you graduate from school? What profession did you go into? Um, what company did you go in with? How did you invest? Did you save? Did you spend it all? What did you spend it on? So if you draw a parallel in the kingdom, the decisions you make for kingdom righteousness have consequences. We're going to see this. I'm going to tie you back into Ruth here in just a moment. There are two verses. I've already prayed through one of them. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord. What do you trust in? Some trust in horses and chariots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord. Trust the Lord with all your heart. And that's really hard. When you don't see, when the bills are there, some of the situations, the, we look at, you know, the church bills kept coming. When I look, I said, okay, God, what are you going to do? They're there. You can get discouraged. You can get disappointed. You can get upset with employers. Trust the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your understanding. In all of your ways, all of your ways, acknowledge God. God, you know where I am. You know the situation. You know the, what we're up against circumstantially. There's another one, Matthew 6.33, you're probably all familiar with. Seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. The kingdom and His righteousness and everything that you need will be added to you. Those aren't just nice platitudes. That's the Word of God. It's true. That Word will stand throughout eternity. It's true. So there's pathways and there's provisions here. 
Well, we see there's a statement. You might want to open to the book of Ruth. So go to Judges. And then just to the right of Judges, you'll find the four chapters of the book of Ruth. There's a statement that is made in chapter 2 and verse 12. I'm going to read it, King James and New Living, I believe. Let's see here. In Ruth 2.12, Boaz says to Ruth, when he sees her in the field, this is New Living Translation, Ruth 2.12, May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. May the Lord, this is a blessing promise that Boaz is saying, the God of Israel under whose wings you've now come, this Moabite Gentile woman, you've now come under the covering of the wing of the shadow of the Almighty to take refuge, and may he reward you fully for your choices here. You're going to see what the choice that Ruth makes and we see this very similar promise. Keep your finger there and turn to Psalm 91. We've been praying this every day, standing under it. And I just want to celebrate God. I don't know of anyone in our congregation that was diagnosed with this virus. We've been pleading this blood. Our, our elders have been praying. We've been standing our intercessors every week. And I thank God. Look at this. Very similar scriptures. Verse 1, Psalm 91, those who live. The question is, where are you living? Who shelter in the Most High? Find rest in the shadow. There's peace, righteousness, peace, and joy. This will be declared of the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He's my God, I trust Him. He will rescue you from every trap. He will protect you from the deadly disease. He will cover you with His feathers and shelter you with His wings. And His faithful promises are your armor and protection. It's not just nice platitudes. This is the Word of God. He watches out for His Word. He cannot lie. Those who come and say, you're my God, you're my refuge, you're the one I trust in. There's no other place I go for refuge. He activates and covers us. And this is what Ruth was doing. In the story of Ruth, Naomi is Ruth's mother-in-law. And we know that Elimelech takes his family from Bethlehem, the house of bread, and he takes his two sons Malone and Killian, by the way, I'm going to give you some names. I love this. When uh, Daniel Christian, we were doing the study, Daniel Christian was leading our Bible study with the men. He had this uh, Hebrew Bible that kind of goes through all the names, and I jotted them all down, and it's really amazing. There's so much in this word that God just keeps revealing to us. Um, those who are here, I've handed out the outline, but you might want to jot these down. You'll be really blessed. Here's what some of the names mean. Bethlehem, the house of bread. Moab is, where's my father? So you leave the place and you're wondering, where's my father? Where? Elimelech means my God. Naomi, his wife, is my delight. My delight, that's her name. But she changes her name after the death of her husband and her two sons to don't call me my delight anymore. Call me Mara, bitter. I'm now bitter. Don't let circumstances make you bitter. She becomes, she says, don't call me that anymore. Call me bitter. Ruth, this is interesting, Ruth means friendship. And I remember I read this in Memorial Weekend, and no greater love than this, John 15, no greater love than this that one would lay down their life for their friends. He says, I no longer call you servants. I now call you my friends, because you've laid down your life. And we see this with Ruth, friendship. Her name means friendship. I have now laid down my life for my mother-in-law. And she makes this amazing statement in Ruth chapter 1. Let's look there. After all the brokenness, Orpah, the other wife of one of the sons, Ruth and Orpah married to Killian and Malone. 
And Orpah means gazelle. Malone means thick. Think about that. Why would you name your child thick? I mean, like a, you know, Willie talks about stonehead or blockhead. You know, don't be a blockhead. He says it in Spanish. And I think, what does that mean? Is that a curse word? No, that's not a curse word. But it might as well be. You're a blockhead. I said, oh, great. And Killian means wasting away. Why would you ever name a child wasting away? Good night. Every time you call, hey, Killian, you're wasting away one. Okay. Now, there's three names of God that are listed. And, you know, that's one of the missing things that happens in our translations. We call them God or Lord. But here, it's very specific. In the first chapter, you hear the word Jehovah, which means the Messiah pre-incarnate. Elohim is also used, the living word, in El Shaddai, the Almighty. So look at some of these words. Bethlehem, the house of bread. Moab, where's my father? Elimelech, my God. Naomi, my delight. Mara is bitter. Ruth means friendship. Orpah means gazelle. Malone means thick. Killian means wasting away. And Jehovah, Messiah, pre-incarnate. Elohim, the living word, and El Shaddai, the Almighty. I put this, the Holy Spirit kind of downloaded to me a sentence for me when I used what the meaning of the names were. And here's the summary. I put it on the back of your handout, those who have one. In a famine, Elimelech leaves the house of bread to go to a place, where's my father? In the thick of wasting away, my delight becomes bitter. Gazelle leaves, but friendship finds the Messiah pre-incarnate, the living word, the Almighty. Come on. That ought to bless you, right? It's like, whew. When you think of what God does, this word is such, there's so many facets of this word. We have no idea. We get it. It's like, oh, my goodness. So when we think about the story of Ruth, Let's look at, look at verse, in chapter 1, look at verse 16. If you remember the story, Elimelech goes to Moab, and in that place, it's really, it's an awful place to live. In fact, the God of Moab is Chemosh. I have that in the outline there, number 3, Chemosh, C-H-E-M-O-S-H, it literally means destroyer. So you leave the place where God is almighty and you bring your family to the place where the destroyer rules and reigns. And then you wonder why Elimelech dies and his two sons die. They have no children. And if you study what the Chemosh God was, the Moabite God, he actually was the destroyer sounds like John 10.10, 10, the devil's come to steal, kill, and destroy. But he also required child sacrifice, just like the God of Molech. And Elimelech's sacrifices is no indication he heard from God. He just went and did something. I'm going to tie this together in a minute. So we see that, that it appears he made a really bad decision. And in verse 12, uh, verse 16, look at what happens. After the death of her husband and her two sons, the two daughter-in-laws, they don't have any children. She said, Ruth says that she's going to stay with her mother-in-law. The mother-in-law says, look, we start on their way. If you read the first part of the first chapter, while they're on their way, it's a long journey. Naomi turns to the two daughter-in-laws and says, look, it's, it's wrong for you to come with me. Leave, leave me. Go and find yourself other husbands. I'm going to be destitute right now. I have nothing. Um, go ahead. And so the gazelle, Orpah, goes away. But Ruth, the friendship one, no greater love than this, that she would lay down her life. In verse 16, this is what Ruth says. He, actually, Naomi tries to get her to leave. In verse 16, Ruth says this. Don't ask me to leave you. And turn back. Wherever you go, I go. Wherever you live, I live. 
Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die and there I will be buried. And may the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. What a vow. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. Turn that page. That's why when Boaz saw her gleaning in the fields, picking up, that's why he said in verse 12 of chapter 2, May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have now come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. Now, we know that Naomi, after all of this, gets to a place where she wants to change her name. In fact, if you look at chapter 1, look at verse 13. Tells her daughter-in-laws, would you wait for someone, my sons, if I had them to grow up and marry them? It's, it's crazy. No, of course not, my daughters. There are four, far more, things are far more bitter for me than for you. And because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. King James says, the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Now, I can understand, I don't know about you when you've gone through some real trials and tragedies. I believe it's common that we might often question, God, why did you let this happen? There are many. I've had people call in in discouraged despair, crying in the parking lot. I lost my job. I'm, I'm drinking. I'm, I'm, I'm addicted now. and I'm Crying out. Why has God let this happen? And we forget that prior choices have opened doors that have consequences. Example, let's say that you've been promiscuous, immoral, doing a lot of drinking. The Bible says don't be immoral. Don't be promiscuous. Don't fornicate. Don't commit adultery. Don't look at someone. Don't be drunk with wine. It'll destroy your life. God says in Galatians 6, 7, don't be deceived. God is not going to be mocked. What you sow, you will also reap. So a person gets a sexually transmitted disease. They get an unwanted pregnancy. They're struggling in addiction. They say, why has God let this happen to me? And yet we've opened doors. And when the parallel in the study of Ruth, it, it appears that Elimelech probably makes a bad choice here. And when his family, after his death, when Naomi and Ruth come back to the house of bread, all things change for them. God will not be mocked. What you sow, you shall also reap. I think there's a couple of other examples here. We know that, that you know, I can't say that definitely that Elimelech was out of God's will, but it certainly didn't look fruitful. We also know that in John 10.10, 10, it says the devil's come to steal, kill, and destroy. So maybe it was the devil assault against his life. We also know that the earth is in a fallen state. So one of these things, he either got outside the will of God, made a choice that wasn't, the devil attacked him and destroyed, kill, and to steal, or the fallen state of where they were. Let's unpack that a little bit. We know that the earth is in a fallen state. Greed, hatred, violence. Let's say that a corporation dumps hazardous material, hazardous chemicals in the ground because of greed. They didn't want to process it properly. And that gets in the drinking water, and then people drink it, and they wonder why people get sick. Is that God's fault? When we're told to be stewards, to take dominion, to not be greedy, to not be idolatry to money, to do the right thing, and yet, why did God let my child get sick drinking this water? This is what happened with Naomi. But let's pick up the good side of the story now. <laughs> Ruth's love and her honor and her loyalty, choosing the God of Israel, opens up a new pathway. Now, this book is often read by our Jewish friends, 
during this time from, it's a very, very important time. That's why I'm so excited about Pentecost next Sunday. In the 50 days that we're, in fact, Pentecost means 50th. In the 50 days from the Passover, the death of Jesus, the Passover lamb, through first fruits, first harvest, to the harvest, to the outpouring, Pentecost, 50 days. When you look at Jesus, go, let's go to the New Testament for me. You look at that place where Jesus becomes the Passover lamb. Remember when John saw Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He said that in John 1. So we see this outpouring that is fulfilled now. And May 31st is this fulfillment. We're going to see Passover, the Passover lamb. Jesus died, was resurrected, crucified, resurrected. He became the first fruits. In fact, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 20. 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Jesus was raised from the dead. He's the first fruits of many. So he's the first fruit. We also know, remember what uh, Jesus said in Matthew 9, 38. Ask the Lord of the harvest, and he will send the laborers. So he's the Lord of the harvest. He's the first fruit, but he's also the Passover lamb. And then he told them in Acts chapter 1, remember? Acts 1, 4 says, don't leave Jerusalem until the Father sends the promise. When he comes, Acts 1, 8, he says, when he comes, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And in Acts chapter 2, the fulfillment. You know the story, right? They're hanging out, 110 of them, and 120 of them in the upper room. And all of a sudden, the sound of a rushing mind. All he knew is they, they needed to stay and they needed to pray. And they were praying for like 40 days. You ever imagine doing a prayer meeting day and night for 40 days with no Holy Ghost? You'd have to have a whole lot of willpower, right? Now, we know that 500 of them saw Jesus as an eyewitness, but for some reason only 120 of them made it to the upper room. Man, that's a prayer meeting you didn't want to miss. <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah, we were there when the tongues of fire came and the rushing wind and everybody heard. It's like, really? Wow, man. I was home watching Netflix. I missed it, just like Thomas. He wasn't with the boys when Jesus showed up the first time, and he had to wait seven days. <laughs> Thomas said, I'm going to believe that until I see it with my own eyes. I see his wounds. I handle his can you imagine Thomas is probably going to bed at night going, man, what was he doing? Was he trying out the oxen? What was, he, what was Thomas doing? I don't know. I'm, I'm named Thomas. I don't like that name, Doubting Thomas. I like Seeker of Truth better, right? I've chosen to be the Seeker of Truth. Tell me the truth, Lord. So we see this fulfillment there. Number one, the work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit is fulfilled in this 50 days. The Passover, first fruits, the harvest, and Pentecost. And I believe, I'm probably going to preach on this in a couple of weeks. I believe that we're on the verge of the third great awakening. If you know this, the history of the first great awakening in the 1600s, and then you look at what happened with Charles Finney and those guys in the second great awakening, we'll un we're going to unpack this. And then you see where we are right now in the position of what's coming. And uh, I just, I am like, God is like, he's shaking everything. He's shaking it all. He's going to shake it literally. Some prophecies about what's going. I've heard some prophetic words that if we don't turn, the earthquakes are going to increase in such a number. From Israel, I don't know if you saw it, the Vatican and Israel were shaken last week. There was an earthquake. Some prophetic words are coming out that have been given to the rabbis, right, about turn. We all need to turn. We need to get our eyes on Jesus. Jesus told us in Matthew 24 and Luke 21 and Matthew 13, Mark 13, when you see these things start to pass, when you start, look up your redemption, your redeemer draws nigh. The one who's come in place of you, who's going to redeem. He's the kinsman redeemer. He's coming back for the family. I heard a preaching the other night. I was all wound up, uh, this, this whole thing about the virus. But this particular preacher was saying, the rapture is imminent. The rapture is imminent. Now, hey, we're not putting a date on it, but you know the time and the season. It is just Getting in place. Everything is lining up. All right, let me read this to you and kind of summarize. I want to go a little deeper. Boaz, Christ revealed as the kinsman redeemer. The story of Ruth shows us how the faithfulness of the godly people enables God to turn tragedy in, into triumph. 
and to turn defeat into redemption. The story begins with famine, death, and loss. Naomi sees this as the hand of the Lord was against her. I believe these disastrous things in this book were not intended or initiated by God. The famine was a natural byproduct of sin, judgment imposed by the people themselves through disobedience. We're going to look at this in a minute in Deuteronomy because I believe the United States is sitting on the verge of this very thing happening. Mark my words, we need to be very careful about prayer. Elimelech's choice to move his family to Moab is not evidenced as being God's direction but his own. The death seemed to be the result of exposure to circumstances outside the covering of the divine promise. When we face tragedy and loss, it's common, I've done it, to question why did God let this happen? And we forget there's a direct attack by the devil, John 10.10, 10, the result of free will choices in our flesh, Galatians 6, 7, and 8, and the fruit of the general curse of man's fall in Genesis 3. Now we find the faithfulness of a Gentile Moabite woman named Ruth who forsakes all. She forsakes her family, her God, her country with determined loyalty and honor. She saw something in Naomi and the God of Israel. She saw it and she said, I'm going after you. Remember, if you love father, mother, sister, brother, son, daughter more than you love me, you're not worthy of being mine. And here we see her forsaking all of that to go. We find that faithfulness. And then God, he seems to work through ordinary choices to bless and provide for those who trust in him. We see the revelation of Christ through the sacrifice of Boaz, the family kinsman redeemer. Boaz, like Jesus, comes as a man in the flesh. John 1.14, Philippians 2, 5 and 8 with a willingness to identify with the human family the same temptations and trials and things that we went through, he's gone through. And in our helplessness, he pays that price. Boaz, they pay the price for salvation and for our legacy. 1 Corinthians 6.20, Galatians 3.13, 1 Peter 1.18 and 19. So I have a question I've asked myself many times, but especially this week, I want to ask you now, under whose wings have you come to take refuge? Where's your sheltered place? Ruth really fulfilled that promise of laying down her life for her and becoming the one. And she turned away from the Moabite God, the destroyer, I want you to see God's Word is true. Let's turn to Deuteronomy 28. This is, this is not a happy thing. That's why I'm real concerned about our United States right now. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 28. I often love this first part. I like, I like the first 15, 14 verses. <laughs> it's about the blessings for obedience. Let's be happy for a minute and look at that one. Deuteronomy 28, verse 1. If, it's conditional, King James says, and it shall come to pass, if, if you fully obey the Lord your God, carefully keep all the commands, careful that I'm giving you today, the Lord will set you high above all the nations of the world. You'll experience all the blessings if you obey the Lord your God. Your towns and your fields will be blessed. Your children and your crops will be blessed. Your offspring and the herds will be blessed. The fruit of the basket and the breadboards will be blessed. Wherever you go and whatever you do will be blessed. The Lord will conquer your enemies. When, not if, but when they attack you. They will attack, but he'll cause them to run away seven ways at once. It's like, love that. He will guarantee a blessing on everything that you do. Your storehouses will be filled with grain. Verse 11, he'll give you prosperity. It says he gives us the ability to create wealth. You won't need to borrow. Why in the world are we $25 trillion in debt as a nation? The individual 
expense to every child living in the United States. We used to not be a debtor nation. What changed? You must not turn away. Then in verse 15 it says, if you refuse, this is the if then, if you refuse to listen to you and not obey that I'm giving you today, these curses will come upon you. Verse 16, your towns and your fields will be cursed, your bread baskets, your breadboard will be cursed, your children, your crops, your offspring, and whatever you do will be cursed. Verse 20, the Lord himself will send the curses. But I thought you were a loving God. He's a God of justice, and he's a God of grace. And he gave us the word. He's going to seal up the heavens, verse 23. The skies above will be unyielding, call it the, heaven, the iron heaven. The Lord will change the rain that falls on your land into powder, and the dust will pour out from the day. You wonder why there's a famine in some of the places, the locusts and all that that's going on in places like in Africa. Why has Haiti been through so much? Who is the God over those areas? What are the people following? Look at verse 38. You'll plant, but your harvest will be little, for the locust will eat your crops. You'll plant vineyards and care for them, but you'll not drink of the wine and eat of the grapes. The worms will destroy the vines. You'll grow olive trees, but you won't benefit. Verse 47, if you do not serve the Lord your God with joy and enthusiasm, woo that ought to help us, for abundant benefits... That's why the, uh, the complaining complainers in, uh, didn't make it into the promised land. He brought them everything. He brought them Brits donuts in the morning, manna, right? He brought them cooked quail at night and, and uh, water from the desert and, and yet cranking and complaining. And he just about had it. He says, so here's what my concern is. As a nation... Think of what we've done in the last 50 years as a nation. We've taken prayer out of the schools. We've taken the Bible out of the schools. We've killed over 65 million children in the greatest Holocaust ever, ever. And some of the atrocities that are happening right now, harvesting baby parts to sell them. A baby's liver is $7,000 on the market. Late-term abortion. They harvest the child and kill it alive, harvest first. You don't think God is going to hold us responsible for that? Woe unto you who shed innocent blood. How long, oh God, will you put up with a nation? We even, under the Obama administration, we actually used our funds to influence nations to bring abortion to those nations. Our president canceled that, the Mexico Accords, when he came into office. We now, this, this is in the book. He made them male and female when he created them, male and female. That's why a man leaves his wife and is joined to her, leaves his mother and father and is joined to his wife, and the two shall be one. And yet now we say that same-sex marriage is authorized by God. Where? You show me where in this book that is there. And then we wonder why God is bringing judgment on this nation. There are those who poo-poo the fact that our forefathers, that we're this righteous nation. I get it. Our nation has had terrible things it's done in slavery, what we did to the Native Americans. Those are all things that need to be repented of. It's true. But there were godly men and women who stood on this nation and said, let's make God our God, under one nation, under God. And they changed those things. They repented for that. I'm not excusing that in any form, but we cannot continue to violate this word and then wonder why God is not going to bless us. We are sowing as a nation, and we're going to reap as a nation unless godly people turn right now, seek his face, and turn from their wicked ways. Then he will hear from heaven. This virus is just the beginning of what's coming. It is the beginning of sorrows. We are sitting at the door. It is right there at the door. It's crouching at the door. And the fear of the Lord ought to grip us. Those who know anything about God, the fear of the Lord should grip us to a place that we get into that place of walking in righteousness, seeking God first, 
and crying out for his revelation of the glory, that God would pour out the third great awakening. The laws of the land would change. Roe v. Wade would be reversed. The abortion laws would be reversed. When you look at the great awakenings and the revivals that have taken place, God sovereignly moved. Those places of wickedness, they shut down. Even in our own city, you hear of the revival that took place after the Azusa Street Revival. The bars shut down. The houses of prostitution downtown shut down. And they became places of sanctuaries for abuse and broken people. Would it be that we could live in a place where all of a sudden God gets a hold of us and all this brokenness and sex slavery and the torments of everything that we see that's destroying families. My heart gets broken. I get these calls every week from families that are struggling with a child who's hooked on heroin, with another one who's stuck in, in prostitution. Abuse and brokenness. God, help us. You are the answer. Christ the Redeemer. You can redeem these places. You can take the vile of us, every one of us. I don't care. None of us are, are righteous. It's only by his righteousness that we become the children of God. And if any of us want to sit here and judge others, you're wrong. You broke one sin. You're guilty of all of them. Christ has to redeem all of us. But we cannot settle for what's being allowed. The laws of our land have perverted this word. And God help us if we don't get this thing turned to a place where the redeemed ones call out to the Redeemer and the blood of God comes and sets us free. I believe there's going to be one tremendous push of God. It's prophesied over and over again. There's going to be a major, major revelation of God. He's going to come. He's going to make visitation. We're going to see many, many, maybe countless millions I remember a prophecy by Bob Jones, a billion souls will come into the kingdom just before the end. Wow, to live in, there's over 7 billion people to see a billion of those that are unredeemed right now to come to God the Savior. Oh, I long to see that, to see the signs and wonders following, blind eyes open, the deemed, redeemed coming, knocking on the door, when you, when you read some of the revival literature, go, go Google on God's generals and read some of the revivals where God sovereignly came in and people who were lost and all sorts of sin and brokenness got a revelation of God and they sought out for the true living Christ. Lives turned around. Oh, God. To see the church house filled with people worshiping God and the redeemed getting set free, the addicted set free, the sick and the broken healed. Come on. He said he would do it. He said he would do it. I just pray for our nation. I pray for our president. Whether you like him or not, there has not been a president that has stood up, and some say it's manipulated. I don't, right now, he's standing for religious freedoms. He's standing for life. He's standing for church house. He's made laws, and he's passed executive orders that I have not seen come out of a presidency in the last 20 years. You're commanded to pray for him, Romans 13, whether you like him or not. Pray that God gets a hold of him and baptizes him in the Holy Ghost. In the meantime, pray for our judiciary. Pray for our governors. This craziness going on right now, this overreach of powers. When I can, can't go to church, but the abortion clinics are open and the ABC stores are open and the marijuana shops are open. Hundreds of people in Lowe's Home Improvement and Home Depot. You can't have anybody. Any Please. May we understand that God is at work and the Antichrist and His work is at work as well. But if the God 
who is in our hearts would get a hold of us in a way and set us free and come. Well, let me land this thing. You turn over. One of the things that we see in the actions that Ruth took was that humility and respect. Boy, could we use that in our government today. Honor and loyalty. The God of the universe fell on those ordinary decisions of humility, honor, and respect. And God blesses those righteous choices. If you think about the story, if you look at chapter 3 and 4, where Ruth goes to the threshing floor, and Boaz, you think about that, Boaz is there, and of course, Naomi tells her daughter-in-law that go there and uncover his feet. I don't know if that's an act in the culture, but it's also, hey, if you wake up in the middle of the night with your feet are cold, you're going to wake up, and who's here? You know? And so, but if you think about it, and you think of what has gone on here with the Harvey Weinsteins and the Jeffrey Epsteins, the men of power who took advantage of women and took you know, the, these things that are just awful. Here you got a situation where you have a Moabite woman who has nothing, who's gleaning from the fields that are owned by Boaz, and he had every opportunity to use his power to take advantage of her, and he doesn't. There must be men of honor. There must be men of honor in this society. There must be women of honor who have this power and capability within them, but they don't exercise that power and authority to take advantage of people. And we see that as and God looks at Boaz. You wonder why Boaz becomes the lineage of Jesus? And why Ruth became the Moabite woman who becomes the lineage of Jesus in that legacy? Because of the righteous humility, honor, respect, and choosing the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That divine order opens doors. It's interesting, I've listed there, you know what the name Obed means? <laughs> Obed means servant. Jesse means my husband, the Lord exists. So think about this. When, Noah, no, um, when Ruth marries Boaz, Obed is the fruit of that relationship. Obed is born. The servant is born. That man has a child whose name is Jesse, which means my husband, the Lord, exists, who has David, who becomes the man after God's heart. So the servant now has become my husband, the Lord exists, and he's our legacy. Come on, that kinsman redeemer, God blesses righteous choices. I love what uh, we're sharing on Wednesday nights, what Eric and Erica and um, Brenton Irving are, are sharing about the fullness of the power. You all tune in this Wednesday. The power of the Holy Ghost that we can walk in righteousness. We don't have to sin. We don't have to make this um, excuse, oh, yeah, I make sin in God's grace. No. No, we can live righteously because the Redeemer has redeemed us. And so as we sit on the eve of the Pentecost outpouring, I'm asking that you would join us in that fast Saturday and then join us on the 31st. Come prayed up, filled up in a place where God is able to pour out, looking this way to us. Well, as we land this thing, there's a couple of things um, that we want to do. One is, Mary Esther, I'm going to ask our worship team if they're doing they, the song that, I think my daughter wrote this song, right? Um, Mary Esther had a, a vision. She's our dance leader in Spirit and Truth and had gotten a, the appeal to heaven flag and had a sense that we should appeal to heaven as a body of believers to appeal to heaven for him to come. And I don't know if you know the history of the appeal to heaven flag. Mary Esther, why don't you, Ron, bring that over here a minute. I want them to see this. The appeal to heaven flag has some significance to the United States. During the American Revolution, in fact, George Washington, he commissioned a squadron of six cruisers, ships, battleships, in the Continental Army in 1775, and they flew this flag. This is before the flag of the United States had come about. 
and it represents the liberty tree. And so if the history of this is that John Locke wrote this in the 1700s, 1700s. He said, this is the second treatise of government. This is the purpose of government, and if it doesn't work at the natural government, then you appeal to heaven. This is what he said. It says, John Locke, quote, when all other political and individual methods of resisting tyranny are exhausted, only then can you appeal to heaven for the remaining justice. This flag represented this appeal to heaven. When everything else looks like it's off, governments are going off and cliff and things are happening, we as believers can appeal to heaven and God will redeem us. And so, as we play this next song, I'm going to ask everyone here if you'll join us. If you're at home, would you stand with us as well? Let's come into a place of agreement right now. We have this opportunity. It says, God hears our prayers. We know that. He does exceedingly abundantly above all we'd ever ask or even imagine. If you can seek and imagine for me a land free of this mess that we're in right now, if we could make an appeal to heaven that God, the God of the universe, would set his eyes upon us, the Lord seeks, looks for those. The eyes of the Lord seek to and fro in the earth, looking for, seeking for someone he might show himself strong in. So, God, we want to make an appeal to you right now that you would hear our prayer as we've turned from our wicked ways. We recognize, Lord, that the, the sins of the land are, are many, grievous. Would you change them, Lord? Would you move mightily, raise up men and women of God? So, Lord, as a symbol, a prophetic act, that you would raise your sword and you would cut off the head of the serpent that's come, the Antichrist spirit that is trying to take over the land, moving in ways of deceptions and lies, the idolatry to all the things that make no eternal value. And we want to appeal to heaven that you would break the tyranny off of our land right now and move. And we thank you now in Jesus' name. It's going to join in prayer. Come on.